All right, what is going on? Welcome back to the show. Today, I am joined once again by Coach Andrea. Andrea, thank you for being here. Hey, I'm glad to be on again. Last right. time was fun. It was. And for the listeners that don't know, we're going to be doing this once a month on the second Thursday. So, I don't know, this will normally come out in about the middle of the month. Um, I really like doing these Q&As where it kind of bounces ideas off of each other. But I just saw what you posted on Instagram about kind of what you've been doing to improve your communication lately. Mm-hmm. I actually want to dive into that. I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit. <laughs> I haven't had time to comment on it or anything yet, but that was super cool to me. So can you just, can you dive into actually like what that post was about um, and kind of what you've been working on? Yeah. So for anybody that didn't see it, I'll just kind of recap what I said on there. So a couple of years ago, I was, talking to my husband. I remember like driving on the way back from visiting family, the kids had fallen asleep and we were just talking. And we, I said like, I really need to make a decision on how my coaching is going to go. And if I'm going to like dive all in or not do it, cause I don't want to be halfway in, especially as the kids are getting older and starting to go to school. And I, I said, I knew what was holding me back was my communication. And I remember saying like this, I don't like being super vulnerable, but I said like, I feel awkward in my speech. Like I don't get my thoughts across the way that I want to. And he's like, you know, being really encouraging and said, I think you should just go for it. You're good at it. And um, so (laughs) I went and I got another certification, (laughs) which is, it was, good to have but also that's not helpful for my communication skills it was right in my comfort zone it was learning more about training and coaching but it wasn't really pushing me outside of my comfort zone and then whenever i started with you we had talked about it quite a bit and you said i think you should do toastmasters and (laughs) i cringed whenever you said that but i've started doing that And then along the way, you've kind of pushed me a little bit more. And um, now we're doing these uh, Q&As on the podcast. And I'm starting to do lives on Instagram and just talk to the camera more on Instagram, which seems really silly because like it's, it's Instagram. It feels ridiculous talking to your phone, but it's gotten me way out of my comfort zone. And in doing that, it's made me so much more confident in communication skills and in just getting my my thoughts across in a way that makes more sense and not feeling so insecure in how I'm delivering my my speech. And I think that that relates so much to to anything, but especially like relating it to our coaching. It it can help clients because they're a lot of times coming to us feeling insecure in their body or even if they objectively look great they're still feeling insecure just because they're not doing the things that they know they need to be doing and getting outside of that comfort zone is where a lot of confidence comes from and I know that you can relate to that too because we've talked before about you kind of going through the same things and doing improv and do you feel like that has been a major role player in your confidence No, for sure. Uh, I think it's something that always needs practiced. As you said, 
I don't think you could have put it better if you were describing my own struggles. Just I feel so awkward trying to put my thoughts into a cohesive sentence. I feel there's all these uh, more so how I felt than how I feel. But I, to be transparent, I still I still struggle with this all the time. I wish I could put together a more cohesive sentence. Like I remember when we were talking about, hey, try to dial back the amount that you're saying like and uh, <laughs> and yeah. video responses. And then I started listening to myself wow that is bad someone <laughs> took a clip of me on their podcast I don't ever listen to the podcast because I don't want to get in my head about it but someone shares a clip of me on their podcast and it's wow I said like probably 10 times just in this minute clip so it's still I think it's something that's always a work of progress but I agree I think that it's very interesting but I found that the podcast episodes in social media posts where I talk the most about or where a conversation is centered around either struggling with personal things of that nature, just being vulnerable with, yo, I feel super awkward about this. I struggle to communicate, feeling comfortable in social situations or talking about feeling fluffier than you want to be. Those interestingly to me, which I think for us as coaches are probably the hardest thing to talk about because I think we always it's hard for us to not want to be seen as the perfect leader right where yeah. you know uh, but we struggle with these things too and it's always crazy to me how many people reach out thank you for saying that that was so helpful to me that resonated so much I had no idea that you struggled with the same thing as that and that's I think the power of being vulnerable like, we love coaching I think that I know for me and I'm pretty sure this is the same for you I love coaching because I feel like in a way, I can bring people on the same personal development journey that I've been on. It's not getting ripped is really the thing or getting jacked is the thing. It's seeing people how much following through with their promises, pushing themselves to be uncomfortable and seeing the person they're actually capable of being, how much that actually changes someone. That fires me up so much. And again, I think you're in a pretty similar boat there or even like working, like our relationship, it's been so cool to see. Like just the other day, we weren't talking about it or anything of that nature. I don't think it even told Katie what what you had been doing. But she must have been watching your Instagram story. And she was like, Andrew's gotten so much better at speaking. And I was like, I know. She's actually, she's actually doing all these things. So it's been super cool to see, for me to see you go through this. I'm always also very impressed with how much initiative you take you don't like. I'll just feel like I just, oh, yeah, this thing would probably be a good idea to do. Next thing you're like, hey, I'm doing lives every single week. It's very <laughs> impressed with that as well. Yeah, well, when you brought it up last Tuesday, I was like, I'm gonna, before the end of the call, I was like, let's do it Thursday. Because if I sit here and overthink it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep pushing it off <laughs> until I get like the right questions or, you know, if you just do it and um, like with uh, with clients or ourselves, like just getting in and training and um, following through on diet and things like that. It just carries over so much to how you present yourself. Even if like, even if I've done all these Toastmaster meetings and speak the exact same, I'm feeling better about it. And even if I, you know, go train for a month or a year and look the same, I'm still presenting myself as more confident because I, I've been doing what I know I should be doing. Absolutely. I think that confidence is you can push yourself to do hard things or you can kind of shut off your brain and just do the stuff that is fighting against is so helpful. That's what, have you followed 
since we got back from the mentorship, there's like the cold shower thing. Have you seen that? And, oh, no, yeah. yeah. <laughs> By the way, shower. Yeah, because I gave you a hard time about choosing cold showers because <laughs> you're in Arizona. It's <laughs> it's 20 degrees here right now. And if I tried to get in a cold shower, oh my goodness, that would be a, that would be a big mental push. <laughs> I will give you that because in Nebraska, they were definitely a lot colder than they are here. I know in Nebraska, I would do them in the winters. I was like, that's very cold. Whereas here, it's not. Yeah. So but still, there's something about like the um, the mental side of just being able to. Uh, I just love like thinking and philosophizing about shit like this. But just being able to like, okay, I really don't want to turn this water on. I really don't want to turn this water on. But just being able to just reach out, turn the handle. Okay, whatever. I'm doing it. And now I'm here. Okay, like this isn't actually so bad. I was talking to one of my clients about this the other day. Like she was frustrated with herself because I'm not acting as a person that I want to be right now. And I'm so frustrated because I can't get motivated. I can't get fired up. I can't get excited to do this. And I don't know what's wrong with me. And we talked through a lot. And of course, it's never just like, hey, just try harder. But there does come a point where like, you're not going to be motivated to be that person. You don't create this by thinking more, by trying to like, now again i think there's a ton of power to things like journaling and meditation but like so much of that too like especially in a scenario like that like we talked through all these things we talked through like okay what are the biggest challenge like what's the pain of staying the same versus what's the pain of changing why do you really care about this now quit like telling yourself that you have to be motivated to do this like, the thought that i'm not motivated the thought that i don't want to do this it doesn't have to be like truth unless you choose to act on it and then it becomes reality whereas otherwise it can just be a thought so for you not not you andrea but for this client okay you know that you know the person you want to be you know how they're acting you're disappointing yourself because you're not acting like that person right now and you're also not motivated for the next two days just choose no matter what your brain tells you to just take the action that, that person would take I mean, after just two days struggling together, acting like that person, I guarantee then you'll start to feel motivated. You'll feel excited. You'll be fired up because you see like all the positive benefits already of acting like that person. And then like, that's where motivation comes in. Again, it's this idea that motivation follows action. Um, yeah. We're kind of off on a side tangent here, but <laughs> I, um, do you have any thoughts on that? Anything else to add? Uh, no, I think we could probably talk about it all day, but <laughs> we both like this topic. Absolutely. Um, cool. So let's dive into the questions. The first one came from our membership group. I'm going to put this one on you. I've got a client that drops weight all week. Then Sunday to Monday sees a one to three pound spike. Net average for the week has him in a deficit. So he's losing weight each week, but he's going to lose his mind seeing the fluctuations happen each week. Any ideas other than stress, carbs, water, salt, or improper tracking that could cause this? That is a pretty good list of what could spike his weight week to, or um, Sunday to Monday. The more important thing here is just educating him on why that's happening and then showing him a trend. So I think this would be a really good uh a really good time to like pl plot a graph with his weight week to week or show him like the the tracker if you have a tracker and show like teach him about those things that will make the scale spike up and why 
and then just show him that even though that that's happening every week, you still have a trending line down. So I, I really don't have anything else on the, like what could cause his weight to spike. I mean, if he's eating out, that's kind of like the trifecta of carbs, fat, and salt that can really spike your weight up. And if he's eating out like every weekend on a Sunday, that could, that could happen. Um, but I, I think just educating him more so is important there. I agree. I love the idea of the graph. Um, and this is exactly why all our clients, like their, their tracker automatically adds up their weekly average weight. And we're not looking so much like how is your weight fluctuated week to week, but Hey, what's the trend that we're seeing in those weekly averages, right? Like I would say probably 95% of my clients see this exact same thing. We're like, Thursday weigh-in is almost always going to be the lowest or maybe Friday morning. And then Saturday, Sunday, people almost always going to eat more flexible foods and there's nothing wrong with that. But yeah, there are going to be typically like more salt at the very least, more processed foods. And that in of itself will typically like people's Monday weigh-ins are going to be a little bit higher. Um, and I know I have this conversation with people all the time. I think that the graph is perfect. Like, yo, because it does sound like this dude is losing on it. He's still, his weight is still training down every single week is what it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. Just, he's frustrated by the weight spiking back up. I think from there, one other, I think the most helpful thing that I've always found for clients is working through the math. Okay. So how much would you have actually had to have eaten? Saturday and Sunday to gain three pounds of fat, right? And literally like, and I talked through this so many times, but I really think this is like one of the biggest mindset shifts for people. Okay, so like we know your maintenance is, so let's say for example, this dude's maintenance is 3000 and let's, he's probably been in a deficit. So, okay, like you tracked that you hit 2,500 calories both Saturday and Sunday, for example. So we know you were still 500 calories below your maintenance intake. So first, to even maintain body fat both those days, you would have had to be eating an extra 500 calories. Now to gain three pounds on top of that, over the course of those three days, you would have had to eat another 369, 10,500 calories, um, plus like those extra 500 calories to bump you up the maintenance. Do you, do you really think that happened? Like, and I always use the example, like there's all the 10,000 calorie eating challenges on YouTube where these like massive dudes are just failing at them. <laughs> it's like, did, how, did you take it this far? No. Okay. Then <laughs> we probably didn't actually gain this much fat. I think for people like really in that scenario, just talking through the math, like what would it actually take to gain this much weight? And then I love your idea. Hey, let's turn this into a graph. Like look at the progress that you're actually making. It'll always be up and down, but you're training in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. I think that can be really helpful for women too, because with us, we can't even look really week to week, it needs to be more of a monthly trend because we're always gonna have a weight spike at certain times of the month and a weight drop at other times of the month. And you really just need to keep sticking to whatever your target calories are and then check the, the trends month to month instead of getting upset whenever you see the weight, the scale weight go up. So let me ask you this, for women that are struggling with like every month I gain this much weight, do you have a specific approach to like, yo, here's why this isn't a big deal? Or how do you typically handle that? I go through that same explanation that um, some women will get a big weight spike and some won't, mm -hmm. but there's typically some fluctuation at some point. And I'll just go through that same explanation that we just talked through and um, just 
you can get into hormones and why that happens. You know, there's like a drop in progesterone and you don't go to the bathroom as much and then your weight spikes up and you're holding water. But if you just follow the plan and eat your target calories, then you're going to see it hold there for a few days. And then eventually your hormones shift again and you'll see that drop. So just keeping a level head about it is important. And then being patient really and waiting for that scale weight to level back out. Absolutely. And that's, I think that really education is the biggest thing behind all of yeah, it. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that one thing sometimes coaches do to kind of almost mean is to being too eager to like celebrate a single data point. Um, and this is much more speaking of like the coaches, but I mean, like if you're someone that's coaching yourself also like being too eager to like, okay, I saw a big weight drop. Let's go. And then buying too much into like, like you as a coach, like, yo, you were this yesterday and you're this today. You lost three pounds. Like let's, that's great. When we know there's no way they actually lost three pounds of fat. And I think that, and this is something that like when I was mentoring, we talked about a lot, like be very careful of like, because then it's everything in life is a roller coaster. We're very philosophical. This, like this podcast, but <laughs> um your weight is the same thing like I think it's too easy to get in the mindset of like okay I, my weight is dropping this makes me so happy it's going to continue like this forever there's never going to be a point again like last week I was so frustrated by the scale that's just not going to happen again whereas like it's inevitably going to happen again so not taking too much stock in a single data point as a coach or even like I know it sounds weird but not celebrating a single data point too much as a coach but same thing if you're coaching yourself like there's always going to be fluctuations. It's always going to be like this downward roller coaster, right? Until you reach your final goal. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, the great thing about also having the pictures and measurements. Cause whenever the weight is doing crazy things, you can look to the measurements or the pictures and see that you're still making progress or that you actually do need to change things up. But typically it's just that the scale is so easy to fluctuate with so many different things and you can you can check out the measurements. That's a great point as well. I would say if he's not taking measurements, absolutely get his client taking measurements. Cause I think like I can think of a couple of your clients who have like like Emily who I posted the other day. She's lost like five pounds, but she's also lost like seven or it's seven. She's lost a ton of inches. That's crazy. At every single measuring site. Yeah, she's doing great. But imagine if she wasn't now for her, like she has abs now. So it's pretty, it's pretty <laughs> too. but if you were just, or like your progress shit, when you were coaching with me, like same thing, or even like, I, like another one of your clients, Angie, like same thing with her, like her measurements are changing like crazy. Her performance is up. She's hitting tons of PRs. Her body composition is without a doubt changing dramatically, but like same thing, weight hasn't shifted that much. So I'd mm -hmm. say for sure, like, that's a great point. Measurements are a big piece of this also. Um, yeah. Can you also add to that? I don't think so. Cool. Cool. All right. Next, um, tips for those who only have access to Smith machine for heavy lifts, deadlift, squat, and for example, deadlift, squat, and press. So, I, there, I would say honestly, probably I think the Smith machine has gotten an undeserved bad reputation for like being. <laughs> garbage it depends on your goals so i would say hey if your goal is to be a world-class power lifter or to be a power lifter in general specificity is very important right we need to do yeah. we need to do a barbell 
conventional deadlift or sumo deadlift, a barbell bench press, a barbell back squat. The Smith machine isn't going to be able to replicate that, so you won't be nearly as good at it, to an extent, but not very well. I would say pretty poorly, actually. Um, but again, if your goal is just to look better, move better, feel better, it's just like we talked about with that home training. Like, muscles are dumb. They don't know, hey, oh, they're using a barbell or they're using a Smith machine instead of an actual barbell. I'm not going to grow. If we apply tension with the Smith machine, you can still absolutely grow just as well as you could with a barbell. And I would argue even like for hypertrophy, like a lot of times I would probably favor us, which I know is like blasphemy to say, but I would probably favor a lot of times for a lot of individuals, like a Smith, if we're looking at, okay, how can I best apply tension to the quads, for example, I'd probably favor a lot of times a Smith machine squat over like a traditional barbell squat. Because again, if we're looking at, okay, and that's similar for a lot of like, it takes stability to an extent it takes stability out of the equation. So if we're looking at like, what is the rate limit of my squat? It's going to be less like for a Smith machine squat versus a barbell back squat, like a high bar squat. Okay. We're going to have to focus less on stabilizing the movement and just balancing the weight, probably a little bit less on core stability as well. So thus it's more likely that quads will be the rate limiter. We might get a little bit better stimulus to fatigue. Like if we're looking at stimulus to fatigue ratio, we'll probably get a little bit better stimulus for less fatigue. Now, again, like, it's that gospel. No, not at all. But again, like I would say, for aesthetic purposes, you can still train squat, hinge, lunge, push, pull pretty damn well with a Smith machine. It really shouldn't hinder your training that much at all. I think the biggest thing there is just letting go of, like, the stigma that the Smith machine is shitty because it's, it's really not. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. So coming from powerlifting, this is something that I've definitely changed my mind on because like the blasphemy blasphemy thing, I would have never used (laughs) a Smith machine for a deadlift or a bench press. But but I think that a lot of the exercises, if you just choose an exercise that is a little bit more fit to a Smith machine, that's going to work out a lot better for you. So instead of a conventional deadlift, maybe an RDL or a single leg deadlift. A single leg deadlift would probably even be better with the Smith machine, like you uh, said, yeah, than, than with free weights because you don't have to worry about tipping over. And then um, like a Z press on a Smith machine is one of my favorite things now. And um, uh, pressing, pressing is a little bit harder to me on a, on a Smith machine. I don't know your thoughts there, like a chest press, but, um, uh, instead of a squat, maybe like a split squat, split stance squat or a, um, heel elevated squat. So you can choose some different movements that will set you up better for a Smith machine than a barbell would. But yeah, I agree. You can totally get just as much or more hypertrophy with a Smith machine as you can with a barbell. Absolutely. Cool. I don't really have much else to add to that. All right. So final question was just, what's your take on the new P ratio info? And here, so basically there's been a lot of discussion lately about just the idea that P ratio probably isn't nearly as important as we once thought. Um, So for those that don't know, P ratio stands for partitioning ratio. And the idea was that below a certain body fat, 
or above a certain body fat percentage, our body would partition a lot more of the calories that we take in to fat storage rather than muscle growth. So for optimal muscle growth, we needed to stay within this specific body fat range. If we get too chunky or if we get too lean, we're not going to be able to build muscle optimally and we're going to gain muscle or we're going to gain fat a lot quicker than we gain muscle. So um, my take really on that, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this as well. It makes sense. I think that for me, P ratio is a cool idea. I think that more than, and I know I talked about it in like my mini cup blog, which I will have to update that now. Um, <laughs> but uh, so the studies, if I recall correctly, they were basically showing that, okay, for example, like an individual that's at 12% body fat versus 20% body fat. Whereas before we would have thought that, okay, that person at 20% body fat would gain a lot more fat and a lot less muscle. There's not really much difference. And that said, so basically the, I, I think what the studies seem to disprove from how I interpreted it was that this idea that there's like the ceiling. And if we gain too much fat, we won't be able to build muscles optimally. Um, which I think still is probably somewhat individual because also I would say we all get to a point where like, okay, I'm 30% body fat, for example, as a man. Um, I just, now my aerobic capacity is terrible. I just feel shitty. I just don't feel as good. My estrogen levels have increased. My testosterone has decreased. So I'll probably not be able to, I think there's still a cap to it, but it's before it was like, okay, 10 to 15% body fat for men, 15 to 25% body fat for women. Go above this, and we got to cut back down. Now, on the flip side, I think that to me makes sense. Um, I don't; it, does, it wouldn't make sense that you were like again, unless we get to the point where it's like, okay, I'm borderline obese and I just feel terrible. I think it would make sense that there wouldn't necessarily be a hard ceiling, but it. I do think that there, and I don't think that anyone that, that did the studies would disagree with us either, and they didn't really, to my knowledge, examine this part of it. But of course, there still is a floor, right? Where below a certain body fat percentage, like if you're just shredded, like you just finished a bodybuilding show, your body is going to prioritize putting on fat versus muscle because so many of your hormones are actually coming from your fat cells. So we just need to be healthy. We need a certain amount of body fat. And when we're in that unhealthy state where we have so little fat that our body is basically getting the signal that is unhealthy, your body's just going to prioritize putting on body fat. So I think there still is like very, now it varies from individual to individual, like some people, and this is like super interesting to me. I think we're both pretty similar. I don't want to like, I don't, I don't know. Let me know if you feel like this is true or not, but I know for me, like where I have to be body fat wise to feel good, to like have good biofeedback and build muscle is a little bit higher than I would want it to be. Do you feel like that's accurate for you as well? Yeah. Yeah, I do think so. I do think so. Okay. I, I think that you're right on with the saying it's individual. I mean, I think that's probably as they study this more, I think that that's probably what they'll find is that it's just more individual and everybody feels best and has optimal hormonal um, ranges at a certain like range. And maybe that range as a population is bigger than they originally thought it was like probably not 10 to 15 because some people just feel better. And also like your leverages change as you get um, higher in body fat percentage. So if you're able to lift uh, 
significant amount more at 18% versus 12%, then you're probably going to put on more muscle and your joints will probably feel better at that higher body fat percentage. And then after you get to the point where you feel comfortable with your muscle mass, then maybe you want to cut down a little bit, but I, I would think that it's probably a bigger range than they originally thought and that it's different for everybody. I'd agree. I think that you're definitely right though. I think there still is like, and you will probably, you as an individual or like when we coach people, we get a lot more clear on this. And that's the, that's the power of ranking biofeedback. Like we have biofeedback that we rank daily and biofeedback that we look at weekly. But that gives you a pretty clear indicator of like, okay, this client's hunger is low, their training performance is good, their recovery is good, their motivation is good, their mood is good, um, they're hitting PRs in the gym. Okay, they're kind of in that sweet spot. Whereas like, again, I do think there is still eventually a ceiling where it's like, and even if it's just psychologically, which I think that's a whole different component of it, but if yeah. it's psychologically like, ugh, I, I, don't, I don't like how it looks now. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, which, and at a point, you can't see that you're putting on any muscle, right? Like, right. psychologically, that is, I mean, that can get frustrating if you're trying to put on muscle for months and months and you can't really see it just because it's covered up. Right. But one of the, one of the, um, the examples that Eric Trexler used was like linemen in football having a lot of muscle mass. Mm -hmm. They're not, they don't care about the psychological portion of it because they're just lifting for their sport. Like they're not getting frustrated by not putting muscle mass on because they're not bodybuilding. They're just lifting and eating. So that makes sense that they could put on a lot more muscle mass too, because they're not controlling for body fat. Like if you're just going to eat and eat <laughs> and not really worry about it, then you can probably put on a little bit more, but that's not what most of us want. Right. Right. I mean, that sounds like my first, like, <laughs> yeah. uh, unfortunately that's not reality for most of us. I, I agree though. I think that that is an interesting example because again, like for the people that, because it was in mass, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. For the people that read mass, I don't think there's a single person that's probably like, oh yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm not shit. I'm going to start following that lineman diet then. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but still, I think that like the point holds. Uh, cool. Do you have anything else to add to that? No, not, I don't think so. Perfect. All right. Well, that is all the questions that we have for today. Um, as always, we appreciate you all listening. Until next time, thank you for tuning in.